What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and with me is my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Bills are still alive in the playoffs as of recording this, so uh, that's a good thing. Rocking my Bills hoodie. Looking forward to Saturday's game and looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, we uh, we don't really have like an official schedule for how long we're doing the the pod, you know, post the fantasy season. But it seems like for as long as the Bills are in the playoffs, <laughs> we'll be rolling. I thought you were going to say we don't have a schedule for how long this podcast is going to go today, and I was going to be like, well, that means it's probably going to go long. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also true. We don't have a schedule for for this particular episode. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the quarterback market as we look ahead at the 2021 redraft season and uh, just kind of comparing it to what happened this year, just sort of our early ideas about potential ADP, potential ways to play the position. It's become a more interesting position than it used to be you know, three, four years ago, there was this period where it was just so obvious that you just didn't draft a quarterback early. It didn't really matter that much which one you got late. But we've started to see over the last three years or so, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. And this year, you know, more than just a couple guys are, are making huge differences. So as we look forward to next year, I think it's interesting to even think about how the ADP breaks out because, you know, this year we had kind of a tier of Lamar and Mahomes. Then we had like a middle tier. But sometimes that middle tier stretched on where you could get a real value on one of those guys. So, Mike, how do you see like the, the quarterback market tiering out as far as ADP? Yeah. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think we do see some guys get boosted up because they really separated. You know, I think we see Kyler, I guess, kind of fizzled out at the end. But when we first sort of had this idea for the podcast, Kyler was rolling. You know, Josh Allen was doing his thing. Russ was cooking. I guess we've kind of had Russ fizzle out at the end a little bit. Kyler fizzle out at the end a little bit. Um, but even Dak to start the year was he was going to have a huge season. And I was thinking all these guys get pushed up a few rounds in ADP. You know, a lot of times that tier behind Lamar and Mahomes last year. So thinking Kyler, Russ, Dak, Josh Allen in particular, I think, and Watson, I guess. Those were the main five guys in that tier. They went pretty consistently like, what, like six through eight about roughly with Allen being the last of those. I'm trying to find the actual ADP I have from FFPC. Yeah, no, that's about right. I mean, you'd see towards the late fifth, um, you'd start to see some of those guys. And then I'm pulling up our draft that we did with Crack Rock. We got because we got Josh Allen in that one very, very late. Yeah. Uh, so football guys ADP, I do have it up now. Josh Allen went 115 overall. Uh, yeah. Russell Wilson was like 81. So that's what like the end of round six, that's like the six, seven turn. So Allen did go pretty late, but Russ was six, seven turn. Deshaun Watson was 76. So right around the same area. And then I think like Dak and Kyler were a little earlier. Dak was 65. So that's, you know, start around six about. And then yep. uh, Kyler was, if I could spell things in my find, this would be faster if I keep spelling things. Kyler like was 75. Yeah, he was yeah. 75. So that like six to nine range, about six to eight, I guess. Um, 
Yeah. So my my thought kind of when we talked about stuff before, because I, I I love talking like this strategy of drafts, and you know we we hit on zero RB as a strategy a lot, and like my mind gets spinning as to how can we gamify things a little bit differently? You know, we've discovered one really good strategy. Like, can we come up with different ones? And I, I was curious what happens at the quarterback position because these guys really were an edge this year. Um, you know, not, you didn't have to have them in every league. I'm sure some people went late round QB and one, but because they went like six to eight, where you could get a guy in seven, a guy in eight, and the skill players start to drop off, you kind of got that really high end quarterback ceiling without that huge opportunity cost that usually comes with it. And these guys, by and large, they all hit, right? And, and they did separate from the field. Yeah. I know there are some exceptions. You could get on a Herbert on waivers, but just speaking generally. So my brain was just kind of spinning. You know, kind of what happens if these guys all go early next year, both in terms of what does that do to the top of the draft? If we've got you know six quarterbacks now going in the top five rounds instead of two, and what is what how do we have to approach the quarterback position you know can we just simply say oh i'll just go late round qb if those guys are there and we talked about it on twitter a little bit there was a thread and i think I, i've come to kind of an end conclusion but i think it's a it's a fun kind of topic to dive into and how we think it affects next year's drafts yeah there was a couple different things this year in terms of the dynamic you had as you mentioned the the skill players were drying up right as these quarterback, you know, you were kind of getting in the ADP range where if you wanted one of these guys, you had to take them. And there were multiple times this year in our high stakes drafts where we had not planned to take one of these quarterbacks in this second tier, but we just didn't have anyone else that we liked. All the skill players that we were really excited about had been taken. You know, you just get sniped on like the last one. And you take Kyler Murray or you take Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, we, we got Dak Prescott at, at, uh, in the 701 range. Um, we, we paired him up with Michael Gallup at 612. So you could do stuff where you're like, all right, Gallup's one of the last guys that we like in this range. We get to pair him with his quarterback. Um, so the specific pocket of the draft where this tier happened to slot in, I think, is part of the reason why we feel so good about it because there really wasn't that much opportunity cost. And in fact, there was opportunity cost in skipping these guys, or I, I guess whatever the opposite of opportunity cost, you're kind of, you're passing on a ceiling at quarterback that then wasn't available later. Guys like Daniel Jones, you know, uh, like Burrow, even Goff, like the guys going later, weren't ultimately going to be matching what you were getting out of Kyler and, and stuff. So you were giving, and of course Dak goes down with injury, but we see that, you know, if he had stayed healthy, I think he just would have been an absolute smash. Yeah. So there is something here as we look ahead to, to how to play this next year of like, there is a ceiling available in this tier of quarterback that isn't available later, at least wasn't this year. And there's, you know, there's a reason to try to prioritize getting one of these guys, but what if, you know, they go up into that third round range where Mahomes and Jackson were going? Because the other part of this dynamic is that you had an advantage on the Mahomes and Jackson owner because yes. you got a guy with a very similar ceiling who you got to take four rounds later or even later than that. 
So I, I do wonder if the opportunity cost increases for drafting one of these guys, if it's going to be worth it, or if you should be hanging back and, you know, maybe not hanging back to where you're just drafting Baker Mayfield, but, you know, hanging back to where you're getting a faller within this tier and trying to get a guy in that seven to, to nine to 10 round range. Yeah. And I think my initial kind of thought exercise was I was looking at things a little bit too rigidly, kind of assuming what happened this year happens again next year in terms of results, right? So like if you had last year's stats, for example, you kind of knew where they were going to fall. And that tier of quarterbacks, instead of going from end of six to early eight or even early nine, they all get moved up like four through six. Like how would you draft? Because that pocket of quarterbacks was really advantageous but as you noted the opportunity cost increases rather significantly each round earlier you take these guys and i think that's kind of a separate conversation than what happens next year because the more i thought about it was that 2020 is going to end up like a really unique year in that there was this clear delineation of the second tier quarterbacks where they had the right price and the right ceiling but i think part of that is one we're seeing more rushing quarterbacks Two, we're seeing more teams that are pretty pass happy. Um, all those guys in that tier that hit, like Russ cooked this year. Allen was on one of the pass happiest teams. Even the Texans, once they got rid of Bill O'Brien and Watson went off, they were really high pass rate over expectation. Dak was going to be on a team that ran you know, the most plays in the entire league. So they, but I think some of these things that made them really good are going to start to funnel to other teams and, and make and we are going to start getting the depth at quarterback that wasn't there where we will have guys that fall and match their ceiling. You know, we saw Herbert and Hertz come up this year. We've got Fields coming into the draft, Lawrence coming into the draft. We've got, you know, hopefully Burrows back from injury and and throwing at a really high rate. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder if 2020 ends up just being this really unique year and there was this unique opportunity to grab those quarterbacks, but it doesn't happen again because if they do get pushed up on ADP, we'll be able to sit back and say, well, you know, we'll grab Herbert or Hertz kind of where we took these guys last year. Yeah. That's where I'm currently leaning. I mean, Herbert, I just, I'm a big Herbert fan and I'm just, it's going to be hard not to get excited about drafting him next year. Cause you're, he's not like a true rushing quarterback, but you get enough there to where on top of the, you know, the passing he, does I think have an elite ceiling um, maybe not elite elite, but certainly for his price, you're going to be, you're going to be happy, I think with him, but yeah, I mean, you've got fields, you've got Hertz, you've got Lawrence, um, you know, the, the kind of up and coming crew uh, burrow. So the, the breakout class could be better than it was this year. I mean, I guess you could say Josh Allen was a breakout. He would sometimes fall to, the double digit rounds. He wasn't really locked into that second tier that we're talking about. It kind of bridged the second and third tiers. And, you know, in that respect, he probably was that kind of later breakout quarterback, at least in some drafts that we really didn't have outside of Herbert, who was mostly available on waivers. Um, and then hurts obviously later in the season, but you know, if Daniel Jones has a completely different season, I wonder if we think about this differently too, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, quarterbacks were just available everywhere in the draft. 
you know, or if Herbert had been more hyped coming in and he was a, he was a 13th round pick. Um, and then that hits, you might be able, the way we're looking at this might be a little bit different. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I do think though, we're evolving to a point where there's, you know, the bottom 10 quarterbacks, you can't just play matchups with where you probably could have gotten, as you said, in previous years, any quarterback, you know, I, I think there's probably a profile you're still looking for, you know, Herbert and Jones guys that can run a little bit. Right. And, yeah. The Herbert passing, I guess, was a little unforeseen. And, you know, there, there's probably, if we simulate this season, some, there's probably a golf year where he, he repeats the pass attempts from the previous season and goes off too. But I do think there's pro- there's more dead quarterbacks than before. And maybe that's, you know, and I, maybe I would look, I'm looking at it at the wrong end and saying like, oh, there's more like really good quarterbacks than before that kind of in the second tier that separate. But maybe it's more that there's, more dead quarterbacks that, you know, you just have a tougher time winning with not that you can't, but, but then that gets complicated if we're going full galaxy brain with this conversation. And, you know, even if we, let's say we get Herbert and Hertz kind of in that eighth round area, right. Where we kind of liked Allen and so, but we get that whole second tier from 2020, Allen, Russ, Watson, Kyler pushed up into, you know, rounds four through six. Now we've got more skill players dropping. Are Herbert and Hertz as good a picks in eight this year as like, you know, I hate to say Allen because he had such an outlier year, but like as these guys were last year when the skill players maybe get gets a little bit deeper if they're all getting pushed down. Um, or maybe you don't even think that the ADP changes that much on the quarterbacks. I tend to think it will, but we'll we'll see. Right, because if the seventh and eighth round are richer with skill players than they were, because there's all these quarterback picks, then it, you know the opportunity cost is still higher because you're you're you know you're drafting you're giving up a, a really talented wide receiver uh, to to take one of these quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, but at a certain point, how many quarterbacks are your league mates going to draft? So yeah. you get, you know, there's that kind of period. Uh, Pete and I joked around back in when we were first doing like our first FFPC draft, we were talking about quarterback and he was just like, he was like, basically like, I will go as late as like you possibly could imagine. Like, I just don't care to draft a quarterback at all. And uh, that has obviously changed because of this dynamic that we're talking about where these, these Russian quarterbacks who can also pass for a ton have emerged but there's still a little bit of that dynamic. Maybe it just starts around round eight and it goes to like round 12 where you're, you're like, you know what? Like draft a backup, Good, like do it. Like I dare you. Cause it's such a, it's such a negative EV move for another team to draft a backup quarterback within the first 12 rounds. And you can just kind of play chicken among the teams. who don't have quarterback yet. As long as there is a guy in that kind of 10, 11, 12 round range that you do think fits this profile with maybe some red flags. There were drafts I was in last year. So to get away from being too results oriented. So to put myself back in my shoes in draft season, there were drafts where I took maybe Dak at that, that turn you'd mentioned, you know, the six, seven turn. And then I saw people taking Baker Mayfield 
Ben Roethlisberger and Jared Goff in rounds 18 to 20, literally their last rounds. And I thought I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) So, so to kind of, to circle back, I mean, it wasn't an absolute given that these guys were going to hit the way they were. I do think we underestimated the ceiling of the group as a whole with kind of how offenses are changing and how some unique these quarterbacks are basically the gap between Mahomes and Lamar and these guys was just silly. Like it was absurd. I, I'm, I'm looking at the ADP now, like Lamar was going in round two, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was very popular in the FFPC to go Andrews Lamar on the two, three turn out of the one hole. And Mahomes was going right, right there. Like they were both going about the two, three turn on average, which I mean, that's too high. Like the gap was too much, but you know, those guys might drop off this year now and they might be like fourth round pick. Like, like it might kind of congest where I think so. Why why are you gonna force one of those guys? I imagine it would be Mahomes who would be the first overall quarterback, but why force Mahomes at like the two ten or even the three oh four when you know maybe Lamar's falling into the fourth or you can get one of these other guys that we now feel much better about their ceiling in like the fourth, fifth, I think there's going to be a, you know, a tier of these guys in that fourth, fifth, instead of in the early third, right? The early third just seems so aggressive when you, you have a backstop. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think even the people that like to take QBs too early are going to see that. Oh, we thought there were only two of these guys last year, but there's, you know, six of these guys and, they're not going to want to jump too early on one, but I guess we'll see. Well, yeah. Are there six of these guys? Cause I think like if you're just in the mind of, of the guys who tend to take quarterbacks a lot earlier than we would suggest, are there six of them or you could maybe make the case that there's four of them because Russell Wilson is now like confirmed, not going to cook. Yeah. Brian Schottenheimer two. Too cons- not conservative enough, you know. The Schottenheimers famously want to chuck it around the yard. Uh, <laughs> gets gets fired, and now they're going to be even more conservative than we saw potentially before this season. So that's that's definitely a red flag. Uh, I don't think Russ will be in that you know fourth round range. Dak Prescott Prescott is coming off this injury. Deshaun Watson is currently in a war with the Texans. Uh, I think Kyler Murray will be safely in that first tier. Uh, and then Josh Allen, I think, will be pretty safely in that first tier. But yeah. outside of those four guys, the other guys have some red flags that I think will put them out of the conversation for like the first or second guy drafted. That's fair. I think Watson might, depending on what happens with his situation, could be on the tail end of those guys, but he would be he would be the back end of those guys. He certainly wouldn't be in the conversation for the first guy picked. And as I'm looking at the scores, I mean, we, we do, well, me in particular, like I'm guilty of this. We kind of get a narrative in our head and I am looking and I'm seeing like, like Aaron Rodgers and Tana Hill, like they, they were okay. You know, as yeah. pretty late round guys, Rodgers was phenomenal in most scoring systems. Tana Hill was more of like, your kind of like more traditional, like I'll take a guy and give up some points and be fine. Um, type of guy. Uh, I guess the, the point is that there were less of these guys, but it, they weren't non-existent. Um, and, and I did kind of paint that as 
you know, you needed a second tier quarterback. I do think generally there was a macro edge to taking those second tier quarterbacks, but you know, we did even see, even with that unique year of 2020, uh, I, I can't, I don't think Rogers was going early, like at all. I know Tannehill certainly wasn't. Yeah. Rogers was 150. So he was kind of your classic mid tier quarterback from the past um, that ends up hitting. Yeah. And, and there also, there was an edge again, and I think there probably will be next year with the rookie quarterbacks, you know, because one thing with the rookie quarterbacks is that like, we we're always way out over our skis on projecting which ones are going to be really good, like in real life and in fantasy. And, you know, Burrow is getting drafted way higher than Herbert. Um, obviously, Tua didn't really deliver fantasy wise. Hurts. Burrow is the only one who's going to start right away. So that makes a ton of sense. And in fact, Herbert probably wouldn't have gotten his starts except for the fact they punctured Taylor's lung, you know, the team doctor. So it's kind of fluky that Taylor, that Herbert got in as early as he did. So the ADP was probably pretty efficient on the rookie quarterbacks, but the waivers were not. Like once Herbert became available, he was pretty easy to acquire. And in Dynasty, Herbert was way, way, way cheap. Like in one quarterback Dynasty leagues, he was basically free in the rookie draft. So there was, I think, whether maybe the, the, you know, the redraft ADP was fine, but the market definitely had a blind spot to Herbert. And my guess is that they end up having a blind spot to one of these rookie, won't be Lawrence, probably won't be Fields, but you know, there's probably going to be a quarterback in this draft who has more fantasy upside than the market believes. That's a really good point. I mean, I remember taking Herbert in a Superflex Dynasty startup, or not at startup, but the rookie draft at 109 or 110 and being, you know, pretty reluctant to do so. And yeah. obviously glad now, but uh, I think that point about the lack of predictability there is big and I, and one thing that I haven't done in the past, I know this past year was a little different with COVID, but my process has been even if I get a late QB, I'm basically taking one and, you know, if I hit waivers or play matchups, I'll do that. But do you think there's more merit now to taking two quarterbacks if you're not getting one of those early stud ones? Because one, matchups seem like playing matchups seems like it's less important. It's more about finding the right guy who has, you know, the right is in the right offense, has the right individual skill and ceiling. Uh, and, and if the matchups don't matter and you need to find that right guy, kind of giving yourself two cracks at that if your investment is pretty low, including, you know, maybe you take one of the rookie quarterbacks with someone that's a little bit more stable to start. I don't, I actually lean a little bit the other way. This could be somewhat results-based, but mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said for putting yourself in the right mindset by only taking one of these guys, because you'll be really motivated to fix the problem. If you feel like you don't have the guy. Where if you do have two guys that are both kind of okay, then you might be a little bit slower to hit the waivers and get it corrected. So in the first main event draft that we did, we took Carson Wentz in the 12th round. Obviously a disaster, and we did not have a backup. We, though, were pretty aggressive in getting Herbert off waivers, and I don't know that we would have been that aggressive or as aggressive if we had also taken Ryan Tannehill, who we could have gotten 
in the 15th round, you know, or, or Ben Roethlisberger who we could have gotten in the 16th. So there's like, I think because you don't want to, you're not going to want to burn three roster spots early in the season on quarterback or, you know, you're just going to like, we weren't ready to drop Carson Wentz right away. So it's more of like, all right, now we know we don't have, we don't think we have the guy. Let's, let's devote that second roster spot at this point to taking a shot on a guy. Now, if you structure your lineup so that you're like, well, I'm taking two shots. I'm giving myself, I'm just shooting for upside. I'm not going to hold two quarterbacks all season. And I'm totally fine putting one of these guys back on waivers. If, if something opens up and you know that you'll follow through on that, then, then yeah, I think that makes sense. But sometimes operating without the safety net, I think can be helpful. That makes sense. Cause we did, you know, an episode kind of talking through waivers uh, I forgot which episode it was, but one of the things, my biggest takeaways that I could do better hearing you talk in that episode was to not overly assume that you're fine at a position. You know, you always want to try and be acquiring guys that can be league winners, guys that have ceiling, even if you think you're okay at a position. And I know last year myself, if I had Carson Wentz, I, I'm not picking up Herbert at, at, in week two or three, like you guys did. And, and that's, you know, even if I only had one quarterback I, myself last year, at least is not doing that. I think that's incorrect to be very clear. It's just, I know myself and I know if I was in that situation, I, you know, I, I didn't even think about bidding on Herbert in any of my leagues, uh, even though I ended up with a lot of guys from that second tier, I'm sure there were leagues. I probably should have put a bid in on Herbert. So you know, to kind of force yourself to be aggressive in fab uh, in those situations rather than just saying, well, I drafted two. I want to wait and see with my second guy. You know, I'm not going to jump on this guy who at this point is a better bet. And that's happens with when you do zero RB drafts too. Sometimes, you know, you, you, there's a bias, right? The guys you drafted, you told yourself a story about, you want to yeah. hold on to those guys and see how they develop. But really, you have to start thinking fresh each week. Okay, who has the most probability of hitting? You know, and that might be the guy on waivers. Uh, and it might be hard to do that if you've drafted two quarterbacks or if you've only drafted one. It might be a little bit easier mindset. But regardless, I think you. We're what we're seeing with the uncertainty with these young quarterbacks. You know, if, if a guy steps in and shows even a little bit of promise right away, it makes sense to go out and stash that player, even if you think you're okay at the quarterback position uh, or whatever position it is, you know, you have to try and continue to acquire talent. And there's also, you know, a little bit of an edge of depriving your league mates of that talent at a low cost, even if you end up, you know, not having a ton of utility for yourself for that player, because the way your lineup is already constructed. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, the guys who, probably were pretty good picks at the end of the draft were Ryan Tannehill, Gardner Minshew, and Drew Locke. Those are the guys who sort of jump out to me. Obviously, Minshew and Locke had pretty bad seasons. Locke had a couple decent games. But the reason, though, I select those guys is just because we didn't know a ton about them. You know, it's like, is Tannehill going to be able to keep this up? He has this one awesome stretch after having totally washed out in Miami. Is that real? 
Minshew is a second-year player. Locke, second-year player. Some red flags, but some interesting uh, attributes as well. So I think you, those are guys that are kind of like early waiver wire shots in a sense. You're just like, let me get a peek at this guy, see if he's got a really nice ceiling this year, and you can throw him back pretty easily. Um, I think those types of guys make sense, but these like quote-unquote value picks like Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Ben Roethlisberger, even Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, oh, Aaron yeah, Rodgers. I like. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What'd you say? I said all the guys I liked. But yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Rodgers had an awesome season. Yeah. But at the same time, like that profile is just not like we know who these guys are. We know who they are. Yeah. And the mindset has shifted from like guys that are decent and you can play matchups with to, okay, who's who can break out? Like that's yeah. important. Yeah. Who can break out? I think that's the way to say if you're going to take a second quarterback or even if you're just going to chance it and take the one guy, take the one guy, but don't, don't take Jared Goff, take Gardner Minshew, even though the results sucked because that really didn't hurt you this year. You know, you could very quickly find someone on waivers if you took a big upside swing. I think basically it just comes down to like shooting for upside. Like I know you really like Tom Brady preseason and you were right. Tom Brady had this awesome season, but like, you know, sometimes he was going in that range of the, of the second tier quarterback. And I feel like that's not a good pick there because he just doesn't have the rushing to go with it. Yeah, that was definitely a great, you, you basically needed him to do what he did. Uh, right. And, and even then the other guys were better picks uh, for the most part. I do think with Brady too, something to think about it. You know, you're mentioning guys that there's uncertainty about that could break out. I would throw in quarterbacks with new receivers or in different spots. You know, we saw Diggs or Allen adds Diggs. You know, that that has a pretty profound effect. I don't want to overstate it because Allen deserves a ton of credit for his improvement, but that's a big deal. Brady goes from the New England receivers to the Tampa Bay receivers. You know, huge swing in impact there. And even Kyler Murray to an extent, you know he gets Hopkins and his efficiency is like a lot better passing the ball than it was last year. So taking some shots, I know there's a narrative of fading the receivers in new spots, um, which I think has probably been, you know, dispelled to an extent, but guys, uh, you know, acquiring more wide receiver talent than they've had in the past are worth taking shots on too. Uh, if you just for the same reason, just uncertainty, especially if you can get them a little bit later in the draft. I would add to that DK Metcalf, who was not added, but he added some skill in the offseason in somewhat in a somewhat predictable fashion. We see second year wide receiver breakouts pretty often. And I think that made a big impact on Russell Wilson, particularly early in the season. Um but yeah, I mean, in some ways, like it was also a perfect setup because we had just had the Odell Beckham flop and the Baker Mayfield flop. You know, and so that dynamic, it's like, well, now we know for sure that we don't want wide receivers who just change teams. And, you know, we don't want to chase these quarterbacks who have the stud wide receiver because that that doesn't actually mean that much. That's what we learned from 2019. (laughs) And then we get DeAndre Hopkins and Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs. It's like the The, exact opposite lesson this year. The difficulty in sample sizes with football. Um, but that's again, why, you know, you take into account the price in terms of ADP and the uncertainty and, you know, you take your cracks, uh, 
where, where the market and we, we, we had a, a draft podcast about this too, you know, taking cracks when the market is assuming one thing versus the other, you know, if they're assuming the quarterback's going to be way better, which they kind of did with Brady to your point, you know, he probably wasn't a good pick there, even though the market, um, and even though I liked Brady, he, he wasn't a very good pick at when he was going in the six to eight range because the market absolutely had to be right that the, the wide receiver shift was going to matter. Whereas, you know, for some right. other guys, it wasn't really priced in, even for Allen. And it wasn't always priced in for Brady. Brady went down the first one we did, he went in the 12th. So it's just kind of like when, mm-hmm. when you drafted him. And for Allen, I mean, his price was basically where it was because of his rushing, not because of any passing upside. So even though he was going in that second tier, sometimes he was going last and sometimes he dropped as you've noted, but that even that price didn't reflect additional upside in the passing game to go with, you know, the rushing TD upside he already had. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and you know, because, because he had digs you see how huge it is to have these elite wide receivers. Um, and I know you've been kind of pushing on Twitter and stuff the the wide receivers matter argument, and you know, that certainly relates to Brady as well. Uh, you had specifically pointed out like Brady's what was it EPA? His rolling three hundred EPA, you know, it's pretty good. And then twenty nineteen, it takes a big dip, and then everyone says he's toast, but he gets better receivers, and it, it's right back up to where it was and not, you know, he's not going to last forever, but the, like the wide receiver position is a really, really big deal. I've been on that drum for a bit, um, but we still want to avoid, you know, I'm looking at this too. Like Derek Carr had a great season for him. Mm-hmm. It, he didn't do anything for you. Even Kirk cousins. Who's like, like he really kind of hit for as much as Kirk cousins can hit, you know, again, gets Justin Jefferson, although he loses dig. So that one's a little bit of a wash. Um, you know, he was 11th in QB scoring overall, but he didn't really, you know, move the need. I guess, like, I guess you were, I guess you could make the argument. You were fine with him if you took him late, but yeah, I think you want to shoot for a little bit better than fine uh, in, in today's fantasy world at the quarterback position. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, and Kirk Cousins is one of these guys who you can trap yourself with. We're just like, well, Kirk's been doing all right. You know, Carr's been having a better than expected early season. I'll, I'll stick with Carr. I'm not, I'm not that worried about quarterback because you're kind of in that that mindset from four or five years ago. And I don't think that's where you want to be. I think you want to still be chasing upside. And the floor, like the floor, the absolute like, oh god, I've screwed it up. Is still like Derek Carr. Like, you know what I mean? Like the reason to just chase upside continuously is because there's really, you can't screw this up that bad. The The way you screw it up is like you end up with a quarterback, like basically everyone else who, you know, missed out on the, the clear upside got. So chase the upside. That's a super good point. I mean, there were guys on waivers. Mayfield was on waivers middle of the year. And I know they kind of changed their approach latter half of the year. So it's cherry picking somewhat. But still, if your guy totally tanked, like you could grab Baker and Mayfield on waivers. And and to your point, you know, you, you wouldn't have given up as many points doing that as you would have gained, you know, by shooting for upside. Um, especially when you're playing these contests where there's, you know, an overall uh, prize portion to it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about a couple of these guys kind of hinted at it earlier with them maybe not being in the 
the top tier, but like where, where do you think you're going to land? I know it's early, but on Russell Wilson and, uh, and um, Dak Prescott. I feel differently about these two players. I am really high on Dak. I think Dak, if I had to pinpoint it now, I, th- I definitely think Dak's top five fantasy quarterback next year. Uh, I feel pretty strongly about that. I mean, there's you're still going to have Mahomes. Lamar is probably going to get back in there. And then you've got Allen. But I, I think I'd take Dak over. Oh, no, I wouldn't take Dak over. Ky- Kyler's rushing was absurd in it. But, okay, so you've got those four, I guess, kind of the ones you pinpointed earlier. I think Dak is in that range. Like, I think he's just as good as those guys. Maybe I would take him last because of just some you know, who knows with the health and we'll, we'll know the health reports, but assuming everything is like checks out, I think he's right in that tier. Russ, I'm a little worried about that. We kind of got everything we ever dreamed about for Russ and Pete Carroll's still not satisfied, you know? And I'm worried the second half of this year is going to be more what we see next year as like the base and you need the first half of next year for where he's probably going to go. I mean, we'll see what they add too. you know, maybe they even give him some more talent, you know, Lockett kind of dropped off a little bit. We saw Metcalf really emerge, but, and we'll see who they hire as offensive coordinator. But like if, if Brian Schottenheimer isn't running enough for you, yeah, it's, it doesn't bode well. And he did run. He got back to running a little bit more, which was good, but he still doesn't run it as much as some of these guys. So, yeah, I think Dak's a guy that in the right scenario, I, I'd take in round six. Russ is, I think I'm probably, despite, you know, with like Hertz and Herbert, like I think he's more with those guys than he is with the top guys. One thing with Russ is that, you know, I think you're right. I agree with you, but I do wonder if like, he ends up falling next to like Herbert and and Hertz and stuff. Then it's like, okay, well, you know, also Brian Schottenheimer's like not very good at coordinating an offense. Like putting aside like the passing versus running, like he's not creative. He's never really been someone who adds value to an offense throughout his entire career. What if they just bring in someone who's going to be a bit more run heavy, but also just better. And you can get some more efficiency out of the passing game because you do have awesome wide receivers and awesome quarterback. And maybe we get like a souped up version of what we're seeing in Tennessee, you know, where we've got Russ kind of playing a Ryan Tannehill role, but maybe even a slightly more efficient and, you know, a better rusher, even though Tannehill does add some on the ground. So if that ends up being the narrative that Russ, and I think it probably will be that, you know, that Russ's days of cooking are, are dead. And you can get him next to Hertz and stuff. I'll probably be interested in that because that's why he was going where he was this year. We were just convinced that they wouldn't throw and they didn't throw for the entire season, but there was that period where it was like, Oh my God, Russ. Yeah. This is an absolute smash. Yeah. I remember Taylor at one point saying, you know, he, he should be our number one rest of the season quarterback at a certain point. And, you know, combination of like regression hit along with maybe, Schottenheimer just boring, not creative offense got figured out. So and the defense got a little bit better. 
You yeah. Know? So if he goes in the range you're saying, uh, I definitely like. There's some merit to just like, hey, Russ is amazing. <laughs> you right. Know? Like, like, just take that. I, I think we've seen that. Um, that was part of why Gretch like Stefan Ben Gretch, you know, our friend like Stefan Diggs so much was like. Stefan Diggs is amazing. You guys are letting me have him in the sixth round. Like, you know, so, so if the price is right, I, I would be in on Russ, but like price agnostic, I do feel way, way, way stronger on the ceiling of Dak than Russ. And I'm hopeful that people are scared by the injury, not even scared by the injury, but just because of the bias of like the stats put up, like they won't have this nuclear season to rely on that they probably would have had. But and when I say hopeful, I mean like realistically, I don't think that's going to happen. I think people will probably be pretty hip to Dak next year. But I think so. But you're going to have four teams that probably already took a quarterback by you know the middle of round five at the latest. So maybe let's say the end of round four, four teams have taken a quarterback. Are people going to want to take Dak in the early fifth, or does he get to the late fifth? early six. Cause I think at that point, that's where I'd start to be interested. I, I don't know that I want to take Dak coming off the injury in the fifth round. Yeah. Five's tough, but when you, I mean, anywhere at that, at that six, seven turn though, I mean, I, he's got a, as good a shot as anyone to be the well, number one overall QB at the six, seven turn. You got to do, I mean, that's where he was going this year. And yeah. now we get the additional information of like, Oh yeah, like this can, this can work. And now it's just, can he get healthy? So, it's like, yeah, if he's healthy, then then he is probably like, you know, if we get the ADP right that these quarterbacks are going in like the fourth round, you're getting a fourth round value at the 701. You got to take it. But I think uh, the market will make it a little bit tougher for us than that. They'll probably end up in like the 505, 506 type of range. Yeah. And then at that point, if he's the fifth quarterback gone at 505, you know, he, hopefully some skill players are start to drop a little bit more and. We, we just get this weird dynamic, but we'll have to see because we don't really know exactly what the what the outset is. But well, no, I what find about, this stuff fascinating. What about the Sean Watson? Because I think he'll probably be a little bit of a bridge between the Dak tier to like the Russ tier, you know, the Russ Herbert crew. So, you know, I think he's someone that tends to get overlooked. Obviously, a lot up in the air with Deshaun Watson, but let's say he's back in in uh, Houston, more or less, you know, similar situation. Uh, I, he just strikes me as a guy who could be a really nice value. I'm right in line with you on, on Watson. I mean, this year did it for me. You know, he loses Hopkins. He throws more than he's ever thrown before. And, you know, he sets a career high in yards per attempt by more than half a yard. He leads the entire NFL in yards per attempt. Like that, that's wild. And even, you know, his sack rates are always high, but it, it was at least manageable. It didn't go up with the more dropbacks. It continues to not throw picks. And he started to run a little bit more towards the end of the year, like we had hoped to see. Uh, he ends up averaging, you know, same rush yards as he did last year, 28 a game. Uh, you know, kind of ran a little bit bad probably on rushing touchdowns. If you look at it, you know, that's going to come up. So I, lo I love Watson, you know, he, it's weird. He kind of feels boring in that stretch, yeah. but he's really not. And I don't know why that is, but, but he does. Yeah. If he, if he gets the right, I mean, regardless of what coach he gets, but it, it's particularly if he gets 
a good coach, he's someone that if he's going to fall off, like I like him more than Russ. Uh, um, I think pretty clearly I'd have it Dak, then Watson, then Russ uh, of those three. Yeah, but me I'm, too. I think he'll probably be one of the better picks next year because I think he'll probably fall in a pretty similar range to where he was this year. Mm-hmm. And maybe he won't have Will Fuller. Um, you know, maybe we won't feel as good about his skill players and stuff, but he was a really good pick this year in that range. Like maybe he won't pay off to the exact same extent that he did this year, but I still think like if you're getting him in the seventh, eighth round range, that's an awesome value for Deshaun Watson. Who's just, he's an awesome quarterback. He elevates the players around him. Presumably they'll bring someone in if they don't resign Will Fuller. Um, like I think if even if they brought in like Nelson Aguilar, like that would probably be enough for Deshaun Watson to you know be able to continue what he's doing. Like he's he's just really talented. He, he elevates his team. Yeah, and we're talking about some of these guys getting pushed up. You know, Allen, Kyler for sure are going to get pushed up, but there might be a point where like the best of that group gets pushed up, and then everybody else sort of stays the same, uh, which would create opportunities with Watson. Russ to an extent, Herbert, you know, hurts, you know, I, you know, moved up from where they were last year, but not, but still kind of staying that more like eighth round type of tag. Yeah. Cause you're kind of asking like an entire draft to change the way they're approaching the quarterback position where you, you have a couple guys who are like, I'm going to get the big advantage at the position. Well, those guys are going to feel less confident that they're actually getting that advantage now which is why we think those those top two quarterbacks get drafted a little late, a little later. But then you also have guys who really liked that they could wait until round eight to draft their quarterback. You're kind of asking them to be taking guys around five guys who were taking their quarterback around 10. Are they really going to take now their quarterback in round seven or eight? Or are they just going to wait till round 10 again? So I think there's probably going to end up being a really, really nice value on one of these guys, similar to what we saw with Josh Allen this year, like Josh Allen, a lot of the stuff, you know, especially to establish a run, was putting him up much higher than he tended to go in drafts. And it's just like there just wasn't enough of a market. There wasn't the, the market did not need another one of these quarterbacks in that tier. So he just kind of fell out of it. Yeah. Hat tip to Silva on Josh Allen. Yep. Um, probably the biggest uh, Allen truther this past offseason hit in a huge way. But yeah, so I, I think ultimately what it comes down to is we'll probably have the same opportunities as last year. You know, we'll get some guys pushed up in ADP, but the group, that second tier group is going to expand some and not everyone's going to get pushed up from it so that we can kind of take the same guys, same archetypes of guys we were taking last year and have the same dynamic. And then also might be able to do so with a little bit better skill player start if the other quarterbacks are going, you know, in, in the first five rounds. So you might get the best of both worlds. All right. Final question here, Mike, will you have much Josh Allen? Oh man. As a bills fan who is not very happy, they drafted Josh Allen and has been pretty skeptical. <laughs> you're really putting me on the spot here, Pat. I do want to know. I had a good bit of Josh Allen probably due to Silva. Well, it was easy this year. I know I probably won't, you know, cause I don't, I, he's going to go too early. I'm not like structurally if he's going in the first five rounds, I'm not going to be drafting Josh Allen. I agree. And he, he's a guy that I ended up with like 
a lot more of than I thought I would that I than I had planned to just because to you know reading Silva and you know just seeing where he was getting drafted it's like you know in the team we drafted with crack rock we were like we didn't we took chris herndon and then we're like oh josh allen's still here let's grab let's grab josh allen after chris herndon so it's just like he was he was just way way too cheap this year but yeah i think i i agree i'm gonna start getting interested in quarterback if we have this adp right around dak prescott i think that's when i'll start to have my interest peaked if certainly if josh allen falls into like the late fifth then sure but yeah. I think prior to the late fifth, it's going to be hard for me to want to wade into the quarterback waters. Yeah. And it, you know, best ball leagues will be different, but we're talking redraft yeah. here. Yes. Just to be clear. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, make sure to check out all of Mike's work at Establish the Run. We've got all sorts of great playoff content there. Uh, check him out on Twitter at Two Hats One Mike. I'm at Pack Rain. And we'll see you next time.